along the way, especially in my childhood and my teenage years. Oh my gosh, well, you know that saying, secrets keep you sick? They made me really, really sick. I actually have been to prison five times. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at icloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know, those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave? Are those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Natalie. Natalie, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? I don't think anymore. There's very much that is secret about me, but I'd say that the secrets that I held along the way, especially in my childhood and my teenage years. Oh my gosh, well, you know that saying, secrets keep you sick? Oh yeah, believe me, girl, I know that saying. Yeah. <laughs> they made me really, really sick. I actually have been to prison five times. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. See, that, that's a, a lot of people go, what? what? When I talk about my journey, and I, and I've, I have on um, many occasions now, I, I talk about the journey of coming back to myself. But a lot of people don't know when they first meet me, whenever I tell them this part of my story, they're like, what? No way. <laughs> But and, and it doesn't often come out in my journey of telling my story, but um, in my teenage years, I went because of my secrets and because of those things that I kept locked in the dark and didn't express and didn't communicate. It made me like so internally ill and, and mentally yeah. broken that um, the self-hatred grew. And then every action that I took that still stayed hidden because they were shameful actions grew and and that led me to then me using substances to escape the dark. can you tell us what substance is because as you know I've used sex and love I didn't ever get into chemical dependency well, but what was I, yours I everything, so I <laughs> you're like love. I whack a mold I did the whole thing <laughs> yeah so it started um with just using drink and mm -hmm. cannabis mm -hmm. um, but it spiraled pretty quickly by the age of 15 um it was all the party drugs um so ecstasy cocaine mm -hmm. um 
amphetamines and all of that by the age of late 16 um early 17 it was crack and heroin oh wow those Mm -hmm. yeah when those took root I know I even these days it's, it's so far in my past that these days I I even struggle to to recognize that in myself, that that was me. <laughs> but I love that though. Like when someone's gone through the darkest of the dark and then they get to the other side, like those are my fi- favorite type of people. And yeah. you can see the depth because once you've been to hell and back, oh, yeah. you, you know, it's just beautiful. But I, can we go back to five times in jail? Five yeah. times. So what was the first time? Oh, see, the, the first time I was I was traumatized at the thought. I, I think I thought that it would never quite happen to me because even though kind of my my early childhood there was um, trauma and some chaos, I also knew that 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 wasn't me. That wasn't where I came from. It it just snowballed like right. one one decision um, led to another, led to another. Yeah. Um, so when they said to me, um, oh, we're remanding you in custody, like I literally stood in the dock and I started crying, please don't. <laughs> I was only remanded the first time, like at this point, they told me a month, but I was absolutely, and they sent me to a prison that was a very well-known prison um, in the UK. It, it, it was spoken about and I'd only heard about it on TV. <laughs> Like, Can you say the um, name of it? Yeah, it was. It's called Holloway Prison. It, oh. it was it's quite a renowned prison in the UK. But what did you get arrested for? Because was it substance abuse? Were you, you know, intoxicated? So because of my substance abuse, it led to me committing crime. Honestly, when I say that, I think when you when you enter darkness. Right. When you allow darkness into your life, it's like there is no end to the depths that you will go to. Oh, yeah. You go to like the worst of the when you do the worst things you would never morally think you're going to do. But yeah, did so you good. steal? Like, what did you do? Yeah, so mm-hmm. I um, it started with shoplifting mm-hmm. um, and then it escalated there. uh I have possession. just so you know, I've shoplifted too. And I'll just tell you that like, I that's the like more embarrassing to me than the sex and love addiction, because I used yeah. to steal because I felt entitled to something like yeah. I can well, take I this. A hundred percent. There was yeah. something that happened, like almost like my soul didn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. It was like it, the darkness that I fed because of trying to escape my darkness. Yeah. <laughs> like just fed more darkness and so it shut my soul off it shut my emotions off I I became someone completely separate from the real true me um so I, yeah there were there were I was entitled I felt entitled because the world had made me suffer mm-hmm. and you're like fuck this world I'm gonna right. take what's mine like give me what's right. mine you've already yeah. screwed me over been taken advantage of you know you had trauma I've had trauma is it like one in three women have had like sexual abuse and it's like I'm gonna take what's mine at this point right right that is exactly what happened so yeah because mine started with sexual abuse as a child Mm -hmm. and then there was a rape at 14 that um, I had a termination from and and so and then absent father who was alcoholic addict yeah it's like a recipe for disaster right 
beautiful disaster, desperate for love, desperate. Mm -hmm. But then scared of love probably because you don't even feel like you deserve it, right? So we just create turmoil wherever we go. Absolutely. And because of that desperate need for love, I then sucked towards me people who are completely incapable of giving it because of that. So you play, (laughs) replay that pattern. Oh my God, totally. The unavailable. Be like, I want to make this person unavailable. This person's unavailable and I want them to love me so much that I'm going to keep trying. I had deep insecure attachment and I I would definitely go for those deeply emotionally unavailable types that were never going to meet my needs and actually would compound the belief system that Mm -hmm. I held that I was never enough, that no one was ever going to stick around because they were my deep core beliefs, not that I knew it at the time. Then I played out those patterns and every person that I drew towards me created more trauma, like left me feeling even more broken, even more levels of self-hatred. It's like we never stop. Yeah. So you went to that jail though. I want to go back to that because that's just like, if, if you guys are listening out there, like to look at you and to imagine you've been to jail five times, but people say that with my disease, they're like, no, you don't have this. And I'm like, oh no, I was the worst. So you, the first time you were there for a month, right? Yeah, I think it was six weeks in total because mm-hmm. I got remanded twice, um, and then and then I got sentenced at the end of those six weeks. But yeah, that was the biggest shock to the system. This like, although I thought I was a little bit of a bad girl, I went deep inside. I really wasn't. I was just like, please, somebody love me, or please <laughs> let me not feel pain, and that was what I ran on. So to end up in this situation where I'm being taken down into the prison cells. Yeah. I, like, I, cry, I must have cried the whole way there. And then I got there and thought, right, you have, you've, right, you've got to toughen up now. Yeah. To toughen up. And I was put into a dorm with three other women who were, I think two of them were twice my age. I'm, I'm like this, <laughs> this flipping little broken girl. And I was probably about seven and a half stone because the drug use had obviously sucked everything from me. Yeah. Like I probably stunk to the high heavens. <laughs> Looked, looked as rough as they come and um and was withdrawing massively and mm. uh and I was go- supposed to go to the hospital wing the next day to withdraw but one of the women in, in the room I said I was going and they said oh my gosh you can't go there they said they'll like terrorize you they're like they've got scabies they've got it's nits galore they um, they're all nuts in there that you'll really? get attacked. You, so I was like, oh, okay. I so you just withdrew, you withdrew without going into like any well, detox? I, yeah, because wow. if they ter- terrified me. I I told the prison officers, okay, I don't want to go there. So they said, that's fine. I thought I'd still get my medication on the wing, but I didn't. And so I had spent... I think it was about seven or eight nights in a room with other women telling me not to move because you have to move about when you're withdrawing a lot. I was actually horrendous. And I remember one day I was on the landing and I was playing pool with this girl who'd asked me to play pool with her. And I was shooting some pool and she said, oh, what are you in for? And I said, oh, some shoplifting and failure to appear. And I said, how about you? And she turned around and she went, oh, I'm in here for murder. And I was like, 
I bet she said, yeah, me and my um, me and my co-defendant, which was my boyfriend, she said, we killed a guy. We would have got away with it, but we buried him under the concrete. And then the um, summer, the con- concrete split open and the stench of the body came out. And that's how we got found out and then just started laughing. <laughs> Oh my God. See, I've, that's so funny because I have spoken a lot of jails. I, for two and a half years, I would go down to LA County and speak in the women's jails. And a lot of the women there, and I say this, are in there for sex and love. They've murdered somebody, they've stolen, they've done all those things because underneath they felt so worthless. Did you see that when you were in? Wow. Do you know what? It, like looking back now, obviously I, I didn't have that level of awareness at the time. But looking back now, every single one of those women that I met in there were broken women, yeah. just broken women. And I, I think that's what addiction is, whatever way it manifests. You know, for me, it manifested in every which way it could possibly manifest. But it stems from my deep, deep brokenness, my yeah. inability process my emotion my inability to feel feel your feelings feelings. like we don't want to feel feelings we don't want to go through sadness especially as an addict and we do these things to not feel to numb out absolutely absolutely and I wasn't taught how to navigate those sorts of emotions and I don't think I like I think times are changing right and we're starting to speak more and people are starting to be more real and raw but back then that that wasn't a reality for me. Like I, I didn't know anyone else who'd experienced sexual abuse. Well, they probably did. They just don't talk about it because I didn't even share my experience till just recently. It happened when I was five years old and I just shared about it. Yeah. So I was five as well. Mine was in, in those years and, and that's it. It's, I'm sure they probably did, but, and even now, I don't hear that many women speak it out. It's only maybe when you give voice and we have these discussions that it gives permission to other people to go, yeah, me too. And I think the Me Too movement. But back then, my gosh, it like I felt like it was just me. And and that is a desperately lonely place to be, right? It's a desperately lonely place. Well, that's why, you know, we do this is to give a voice. You are not alone. Everybody feels like this. It's all the human condition. Mm-hmm. We think we're alone and no one understands, but everybody usually has the same core things. They, they don't feel worse worthy enough. They don't feel loved. They feel like they're going to be abandoned, all that stuff. But I do want to get back. So you get out of jail, right? So what happened the four other times? Like, I want to get to like the side where you, but I want to hear like, what got you to those other times? Well, the the thing is, is you go through that season and you come out and if you don't have any tools to change, if you still don't have tools to navigate like that mental turmoil that you're going through, if you don't have the tools or feel in any way that you hold any value, like, or have anything to come out to, because by that point, my life had been chaos mm-hmm. for at least a year. It had been utter chaos. I'd, I'd never really, I think I'd had one job for about three weeks and another job for about three months, like from the age of 16 onwards. Apart from that, I didn't have really any qualifications. I didn't because I bombed out of college. I'd done performing arts. So yeah. I wanted to be an actress and that. So I came out 
and I was still with the guy that I was with when I came. <laughs> exactly. Like you guys should see my face. I was like, oh, that's not good. But even yeah. if you had like the job skills, you don't have the mental tools, the emotional tools. That is what breaks us. It's, it, it's absolutely key. There is no way that, which is why I think in, in prisons, it breaks my heart that it's not more about rehab yeah. and reform. And it's a mental lot more health. All Gosh. that stuff. Can you imagine if they did counseling, like one-on-one right. mental health with inmates and like really okay. got down to why you're doing those things and what you came from, how beautiful the growth would be? Exactly. If you if you changed every prison into a rehab center, because the reality is rehab is about um, rehabilitation from whatever. So regardless of whether people are in there are addicts, there is always something that drives a person's behavior. Always. Well, it's the why. Looking right. at the why, go to the why. It's not the abuse. It's not the substance. It's not the aggression right. or all that right. stuff that they do. It's underneath. It's lo- looking at the core. Absolutely. What's driving that behavior? And it is if every prison focused on rehabilitation, I think we'd have much, completely different outcomes in the world. Oh, <laughs> 100%. I am Thank with you. you. How do they not get this by now? <laughs> because How humanity I- doesn't look at like crime or addiction, that it's a mental problem. Like something is underneath this. People are driving, you know, so we need to look at that. But still, why did you go in for the second time, the third time, the fourth time, and the fifth time? <laughs> My um, crimes started to escalate. So then when you step into darkness, you don't just stay stagnant or do the same. It gets worse and worse and worse. So um, I, it got to the point where I was um, stealing people's possessions. So handbags and uh, like it pains me to say like it sometimes that's hard for me to admit because, you know, if that happened to me today, I know the impact that it would have. I was so empty by this point of being having the capacity to think about anyone else's feelings because I was so consumed by my own that, you know, that drives you. That absolutely drives you. As long as I don't have to feel you don't have the capacity to think about anyone else feeling anything, right? Yeah, and you were in survival mode at that point. I mean, the yeah. things I did in my d- disease, it, it sickens me. But the thing yeah. is, you saying it out loud, saying I did these things. It's yeah. not who I am. I did them to survive. I'm not proud of them, but they don't define me as a person. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, and I committed a lot of fraud. Mm-hmm. Um and and that that was repeated again and again. And I I, I um, fought people. If if I was you know trying to steal something and someone tried to catch me, I would fight them down before I got caught. So you know, <laughs> I'm imagining you right now getting in a fight. If you guys saw her, you would be like, "This is women not being a fight at all." I can see you like with your like like trying to hit somebody. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But that's the thing. It's so it just escalated. Like you just kept stealing. And did you like forge checks, steal from people, that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I did all of that. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced. 
from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Super Beets Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beets Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. And, and I caught myself in shocking situations at times that, you know, I, I was with, I used to hang around with a group of guys quite a lot and I, you know, did smash and grabs on antique shops and just got caught up in the most insane, insane situations. And it was almost like I was in a movie, like half the time it wasn't, it was like I was watching mm-hmm. this person do this rather than me being present doing it. It's, yeah. It's the weirdest thing, right? It's almost like for me, I like floated out of my body and was watching it. Like I was watching a movie and it wasn't me. So detached. Well, that's it. And I now know that that's a trauma response, right? It's uh, like completely detaching from yourself and your um, circumstances and and being present is is a massive trauma response. And I think regardless of how much I was trying to escape what was going on, I was experiencing more and more darkness and being subjected to more and more darkness and subjecting myself to more and more darkness throughout those seasons. So yeah, my crime escalated. I I actually, my um for me to come to America, I have to go and apply for a, a, um, a thing to get in and I have to pay to be able to get a visa because my um, criminal history is so extensive. It's It's 14 pages long. So it's... <laughs> It's, it's like a little mini book. It's a book. <laughs> so what was that moment that was your bottom? Like you knew you couldn't do, you were sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know what I mean? What was that moment for you? Tr- the truth be told, I had so many of them. Mm-hmm. And every time I got to the bottom, I thought this bottom can't, I can't get any lower. Right. And and I've seen a quote recently and, and it's so spot on. It is apparently the, um, <laughs> the bottom has a basement. <laughs> Probably. Right. Then a storm shelter. And right. then, like, it keeps going down. Right. Um, <laughs> but what did happen for me is the last time that I went to prison, um, this is when I got an actual sentence because the, the previous times I'd been on remand, but the last time I actually got a sentence. So I was there for seven and a half months. Now that was the first point in my journey because I tried five rehabs. I had been to a mental health institution for trying to kill myself Yeah, and then prison five times. So I, I tried a lot, but I'd never had a long enough period away from the substances for my brain to, um, for me to come back to me. Yeah. That's what happened in that season. I actually made one amazing friend who I'm still friends with today. Like she came out and both of us have completely transformed our lives. Oh, that makes me so happy. I want to cry. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, I think for the first 
time that that friendship enabled me to like laugh pure tears like tears of laughter and nearly wet myself on a few occasions because we rolled about in laughter so much and and I found you know my sense of humor again and I found the light that I had again almost like um where a, a bare house has been in complete darkness and then and then someone lights a fire in that house, it, it just in the fire fireplace. And then all of a sudden, bit by bit, that the lights start coming on. And I felt like that was what was starting to happen. And I tried to seek, I was so desperately didn't want to come out and go back to what I was doing. I knew that I'd rather die. Mm-hmm. I knew that something had to change. So I started going to the church there and and even just that like listening to songs that were uplifting whether I believed the words or not it was I saw people that came in like the church ministry the the people that came in they they had like this joy in them that like I saw and I was in absolute awe like how how do people get that how so I went on a real journey of me trying to get some connection with some of higher power. So, yeah. yeah, I tried praying and praying, and and actually nothing happened. But um, when when I was in prison, um, but I did I did a few courses, and and I started yeah, just making a lot wiser choices for myself. Um, but see, I you just said nothing happened when you pray, but people yeah. think when you pray, something magical is going to happen. <laughs> nothing happened but there's something I know you're waiting for like God to come down and be like hello I see you you know what I mean but that's the thing about prayer you know they are getting answered we just don't see it we don't feel it we don't can't touch it and there's something about when I was getting sober too I would literally sit in my car and go God you take it you take it it just gave me like taking my worry my pain my fear all that and giving it to somebody else there's something about that that is so powerful you know absolutely even if you don't believe in a God it's just something bigger than you bigger than you that Mm -hmm. you can because if you've carried that weight by yourself for so long and then you're going, do you know what, <laughs> like you take it, right? And then even speaking that out is releasing in itself. And I think quite often we do um, wait, like want these powerful moments. But even in you saying that, that it's really reminded me that actually it's in those tiny little small shifts that happen internally mm-hmm. in our mind and somewhere deeper in, in our spirit that those tiny little shifts that add up bit by bit. Yeah, those are the tools. Right. Those are the little things, you know, like that we can do as addicts or people that have been to the dark side where we come to the other side. Those little moments of like turning it over, of being of service, of, yeah. you know, doing the opposite of what you would normally do. Those things are what saves us. Absolutely. So, yeah, it, um, I didn't have the big at that point. I didn't mm-hmm. have the big um, awakening. And actually, I, so I came out again to a different partner that I'd been with before I went in if you're listening to her do not go back to the partner you were before I'm just don't do what she just said she did again it doesn't work 
<laughs> it does not work. Nothing will change. <laughs> Nothing. We can laugh about it now. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it was like um, I hadn't, I had no one. And that was the only, I mean, I had my family there, but there was, that was never I mean, my mum, I had connections to my mum. I say my family, my mm -hmm. sister by this point was caught up. My sister is a, a year and a bit older than me. And mm -hmm. by this point, she was caught up in addiction as well. Oh, so yeah. my mum had the two of us. And then I had a younger brother and sister that I disengaged with um, with my mum and a younger brother and sister with my stepmom. So, but I hadn't had contact with them for many, a good few years because I'd been in. So really all I had was this connection with this guy and, mm. and nothing else to come out to. So um, I knew that I didn't want to be in the relationship with him, but I knew I didn't um, have anything else either. Yeah. And that was terrifying for me. So um, it was just trying to cling on to some sort of rope of something. Mm -hmm. I came out. And within uh, a few days, I found myself back in the most horrendous night of my life. It was like horrendous. I ended up relapsing on drugs and I ended up with this girl and she was just doing the most crazy things. She, she was doing something, um, something called clipping, which is she would pretend that she was going to meet someone for sex and then yeah. she'd get the money off them and then rob them and and I ended up with her in this chaos and by the end of the night she we were walking past this guy's house mm -hmm. who she said oh he's one of my um my punters because she she was in the sex trade and right. before I knew it she she was dragging me in and we were in his house and his wife was upstairs and she was threatening him that she was going to tell his wife unless he gave her some money. Mm -hmm. And I, I was stood there and honestly, I, the fear of God came in me. I, I was like, you have been out three days and you were in someone's house. This is aggravated burglary right now. Yeah. Like what the actual hell. And it, it, it terrified me. It mortified me. I saw the fear on the man's face. I heard the woman calling from upstairs and I just, it broke me. It absolutely broke me. And maybe that was where in that moment there that the, the, I realized that there was no part of me that could exist in that darkness anymore. Yeah, it's like, but that's like the moment I'm talking about where you look at yourself and your actions and you're like, what the actual fuck? Like, am I going to be doing this the rest of my life? Like, I can't, right. I can't do this to myself anymore. I right. can't put myself in those moments. Yeah, because I, I think what I'd also gained in that time of being um, in prison for that amount of time, I'd actually got in in contact with my conscience. Mm -hmm. I that that had come alive again right it's something that I'd suppressed for so many years I was no longer so bitterly angry with the world that I couldn't extend any feelings or emotions to anyone else so I was stood in this situation and all I could feel was this man's fear and the pain of the wife upstairs if she found out and I could feel it all mm. and it oh my gosh it was it's really weird, actually. This is the first time speaking about it that I've just got that 
oh my gosh, that was that moment. Yeah. That was the moment um, where I guess, yeah, that the the two worlds realized that they couldn't live together anymore. I feel like those moments are called those, I call them God shots. Oh, it's yeah. like a door is open and you yeah. can literally see the other side yeah. and you have to be willing to like walk into that new way, that new way of life. And those are the moments that I say you're most grateful for. You're like, yeah. if that moment didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am today. 100%. Because what happened a few days later is actually that my, the, the partner I was with at the time, his brother was selling heroin and he bought me some round. Mm-hmm. to try he gave me some free stuff to try and he went off and I looked at it and I put it in the cupboard and I went I got on my hands and knees because I didn't know how not to use it but I knew that if I used it then I needed to kill myself because I wasn't prepared to suffer anymore or make anyone else suffer so it was either I take that and I kill myself or I don't take it and I was in that like real wrestling mm-hmm. and I my knees and I just I prayed and I was there for about half an hour and I was like I am not moving until something happens because if I get up from this spot I'm dead that's it it's done like done and after about half an hour I cannot explain what happened but I was just washed with a piece that I can't explain like it was like love touched me uh, and and I experienced what love and peace were was like pure love and pure peace and yeah it was just it's like that that brief moment that you get to see that you can have that serenity and peace and you can yeah I'm like totally crying right now but I I was I was in I was in tears but they were tears of pure joy like I I'd never experienced it and it did only last like a, a split moment. A split moment, was, yeah. Uh, it was enough that something deep in me had shifted. And, and from that moment, I, I just knew that things were going to change, like, profoundly. And it, and it was such a blessing because I then found out that I was pregnant. Yeah. Oh, my God, I'm totally <laughs> crying. Like, a... <laughs> But, like, what a blessing. Yeah. And, like, obviously, it was terrifying oh well yeah motherhood is terrifying absolutely terrifying and, but and it was motherhood that I knew in the moment that I knew that I was keeping the baby mm-hmm. I also knew that I was having to walk that walk alone yeah and I knew walk that walk alone but walk that walk while I was still trying to like come back to myself how brave how Oh my God. Like if I could bow down to you right now, like that is such a brave act to go into motherhood, to go through (laughs) withdrawal, to, to step into your truth, to find yourself love and to get to the other side, like hats off. Like people do not do that work and you should really honor yourself because that is a beautiful journey. Thank you. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'd love to say (laughs) <laughs> oh no I look back yeah it was it was um it was profoundly brave <laughs> and stupid I probably didn't know why <laughs> I'm sure but how many years ago how old's your child so my son is 18 now. <gasps> yeah so wow. it's been and, and I'd love to sit here and go oh my gosh 
that was it. Life transformed and it was amazing. And that that wasn't my journey um, because what happened is, yes, I put everything down and I went on this journey of recovery, but mm-hmm. uh, it it took me many, many years to realize just how deep the trauma was. Oh yeah. No, that's yeah. when the work starts. I'm not saying it was like this, like it's a yeah. roller coaster. You have roller coasters. You, you know, you slip, you fall, you get back up, you learn new ways. You, you know, I mean, it is, a, I, I tell people it took me a decade of pure recovery until I actually felt like grounded. Yeah. And this is it. And I think that for me, I put the drugs down and then I put picked up um, that desperate need for love again. Yeah. Um, it's and- always at the bottom, baby. It's always at the core. It's always. <laughs> I said, you find any heroin addict, there's a love addict underneath them. And that's the thing. This heroin addict came into our program. He said, I can quit heroin. I can be off heroin for 30 years, but I can't quit her. Yeah. And that to me was like, yeah, we all come back to those core issues. But the core issues. And and I I don't think it took me a long, long, long time to realize just how deep those issues ran. Um, and a long time to reprogram the story that I held. So when I turned my life around with the drugs, um, you know, the choices that I made in terms of relationships past that, um, I, you know, I picked non-committal um men who cheated and relapsed on drugs themselves and and I was dragged through I I went on to have another son that was planned like it was a planned pregnancy um really wanted him wanted a brother for my son to grow up with wanted that I desperately looked for that family unit because I thought okay that that is when I know I've made it. When I get the family and I get the man, like I've made it. They're like yes. that shit don't fix you, girl. Like you crazy. I know. That just I know. <laughs> I, know. I, I love it when people are like I get the family, I get the man, everything will be great. I'm like, no, it actually makes things worse. Worse, <laughs> especially my choices. <laughs> that's the thing though you know I love all the depth and the different layers and that you're talking about it and that now you're willing to talk about it and share it with everybody else and I could talk to you forever this is going to be like the longest episode but we have to wrap it up but I have one main question I want you to answer before I let you go yeah if someone out there is in that cycle, if stuck in bad relationships, if stuck in that darkness, you know, acting out, stealing drugs, all that thing, and they're listening right now, what would be your advice for them since you've been through it? What would be your advice? To break it down into a few small words or one sentence, I'd say you can't do it alone, cannot do it alone. I'd say that you are worth more than you ever know and you have to stop believing in that and you have to start seeking out opportunities I I think for me I never since since making that journey to change I've never stopped seeking ways to grow and I'm putting myself around people who will encourage and facilitate that growth I think it has to come back to the journey of healing has to come back to you because the the relationship that is the most vital is the one with yourself. 
Mm-hmm. And if you start there, for me, the rest follows. I tried to do it the other way around and it didn't work. Like give you time, learn to love yourself fiercely. And from that place, I think everything else flows. Oh, you couldn't say it better. Honestly, I 100% agree is that if you can find yourself love, yeah. nothing else matters. Honestly, nothing yeah. else matters. Oh, I Go ahead. I finished. I know you have something great to say. <laughs> One more is that there is no place that you can go to that you can't come back from. There is no amount of damage that you believe has happened to you that cannot be restored. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your truth and your secret and just being so open and vulnerable. Honestly, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute blessing. Thank you. And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.